Welcome to the Lending Lowdown. I'm CJ Doherty, Director of Analysis at Refinitiv LPC. Our most recent podcasts have covered topics ranging from the CLO market to LIBOR cessation to the commercial real estate market. Today, we're going to talk about private credit and BDCs in what is our 16th podcast in the series. And so I'm delighted to be joined today by Laura Holson, Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer at New Mountain Capital. Laura, thanks for joining me. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Well, Laura, before we dive into the Q&A, can you give us a little bit of background about New Mountain for anyone who's not familiar? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, so New Mountain Capital is an alternative asset management firm. We have about $40 billion of assets under management across private equity, credit, and net lease. And we focus across all of our business lines on investing in what we call defensive growth sectors, like software, healthcare, tech-enabled business services, all sectors that are growing and that we think will be resilient in all macroeconomic environments. And I'm one of the portfolio managers for our direct lending business, where we focus on lending to these same types of defensive growth industries that New Mountain Capital has studied over its past 20 plus year history. Um, and we do have a publicly traded business development company, NMFC, as well as some private credit funds as well. Okay, great. So, so let's kick things off by discussing retail money. Uh, as you know, a large amount of retail investor money has flowed into the private credit space in the last two years. Can you talk about the evolving interest in private credit from retail investors? Sure. So I think of interest in private credit has really grown dramatically, both from retail as well as institutional investors. Uh, I attribute the increased retail interest to a couple things, um, namely the enhanced yield that direct lending offers combined with the exposure to floating rate loans. So as base rates have risen, investors have really benefited from that rise in underlying uh, base rates. Um, and if you compare the volatility adjusted returns of direct lending to the high yield market or leveraged loan market, uh, the direct lending market stacks up very well from a just overall return perspective. Um, and direct lending has been a very resilient asset class. Uh, we've seen really good credit performance despite the broader market volatility. Obviously the floating rates that I mentioned, the fact that the underlying assets are senior secured in nature. So I think it is a very attractive risk adjusted return, which is why uh, retail money I think has flown in in particular. Okay, and, and so how has the, the money from the retail investor base impacted the direct lending market and will it continue? Yeah, I, I, it has helped, I think, the industry really grow in terms of both size and visibility. Uh, the industry has definitely evolved a lot over the last decade from, I think, something that most people had never heard of to an industry where some of the players are really more household names. Um, the data isn't great, but just to give you a sense of the scale, the private credit industry is probably about uh, $1.5 trillion today. So it's really grown dramatically. Um, so putting it kind of on par or even greater than the high yield and leveraged loan market. So it really can, it's something that cannot be ignored by either retail or institutional investors at this point. And we do think the direct lending market is really poised to continue to grow. If you look at the dry powder for private equity firms, that gives us really high conviction on the outlook for the direct lending market as well. And your firm manages BDCs, business development companies. You know, so given the, the current market environment and the economic backdrop, do you see opportunities to generate strong risk-adjusted returns for investors through public BDCs? And you know, what are the opportunities and the challenges? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're bullish on private credit for, I think, a variety of reasons. We, we do see deal activity picking up um, and the direct lending market has taken meaningful share from the syndicated loan market. Um, in addition to that, we've seen capital structures, you know, as, as they're very attractive right now, we're lending a dollar one in the capital structure where 60 to 70% of the capital structures really sponsor equity or junior capital below us. So that's a very, it feels like a pretty safe place to be in the capital structure. And in, in doing so, we're generating a double digit unlevered yield. And the BDC is, I think, a pretty attractive structural wrapper in that it delivers enhanced yield for lending to a pretty diversified, but also very curated underlying portfolio. And there are multiple forms of BDCs out there. You have public uh, BDCs like ours, NMFC, where investors have daily liquidity, pretty good transparency into the underlying assets while receiving a pretty consistent dividend yield. So we do think um, you know, the returns are pretty attractive for BDCs. And from a challenge perspective, it's all about, like it is in credit always, avoiding mistakes. So underwriting is key because um, it's hard to make up if you have uh, an underlying loss in one of the underlying assets. And now to touch on credit quality. Um, I think, as we all know, interest rates have risen sharply in the last 15 months or so. But non-accrual and default rates have remained relatively low. Um, so are, are portfolio companies showing signs of much stress? You know, what's your outlook here? Yeah, I mean, clearly when you see interest rates rising, I think about 500 basis points in 18 months, that is going to have an impact on the underlying companies. Um, but our portfolio continues to perform really well. There's, you know, there's a handful of underperformers, but overall, not a lot of stress. Um, we, we developed a heat map actually during COVID to try to just visually show how our underlying portfolio is doing. Um, and, we, and we rate the names from green to red, where green is indicating inline or stable performance, and red is obviously indicating very challenged performance. And, and to give you a sense, our portfolio for NMFC today is 93% green and 5% yellow, with only 2% in the orange and red category. Um, and we attribute that to the industries that we focus on, which have what we think are innately attractive cash flow characteristics, such as high EBITDA margins and free cash flow generative um, natures, just given a lot of what we're doing, as I said up front, are more technology and services type businesses. So these are pretty asset light and therefore don't have a lot of CapEx or working capital needs. And I do think it's important to remember the loan to value also. I touched on this uh, on your last question, just around capital structures and the amount of equity cushion that's in a lot of these companies. So uh, to give an example, for a billion dollar deal that's structured, um, maybe structured with $300 million of debt and $700 million of equity, which is a pretty typical capital structure that we're seeing, if rates move 1%, that's $3 million of incremental interest. Or if it's 2%, it's $6 million. And you need to put that in the context of the $700 million of equity already in the deal. So it's pretty de minimis um, impact as long as the company is still a good business, sponsors should be incentivized to support it, even if rates have gone up. And, we, and we've seen that really in practice where sponsors have been really proactive in supporting companies with additional capital, either for liquidity or for M&A. Um, so maybe a little bit long-winded, but generally we feel we feel good about the state of our portfolio and um, you know, for, for the reasons I just mentioned. 
Yeah, makes sense. Uh, sounds pretty good there. Now I want to talk about private credit versus banks, as it's another area which has evolved in recent times. And I think you you uh, kind of mentioned it in passing a little bit earlier. So from your vantage point, you know, what role will private credit play going forward, given changing banking appetite and the recent volatility in the regional banking sector? Yeah, we expect private credit to play a continue to play a bigger and bigger role uh, in the market. And we've seen a secular shift towards direct lending over the last 10 plus years because of the benefits that it offers private equity sponsors. Um, the way I think about those are it's you know faster, easier, and more certain execution because you're not taking market risk because you're not in market for weeks. Um, you're not getting flexed on terms because again, you know the terms up front uh, and you're not needing to go to the rating agencies to get a rating. Um, and it also tends to be more flexible capital and, and a lot more relationship oriented. So as I said, that's been a shift that's been occurring for a while, but it's been accelerated, I think, recently in light of the volatility that you mentioned. Um, the syndicated market has been, you know, was closed for a while. It's slowly reopening, but only for certain credits with certain capital structures. Um, and over the last several months, the direct lending market was the, really the only market open to sponsors. And so during this period of time, you've had sponsors who previously only ever went to use banks, um, but now they've tried the direct lending market and realized, all I think, all the benefits that it offers. And you also have a phenomenon where growth begets growth to some extent, because a, a billion dollar financing used to have to go to the syndicated market in order to get done because the direct lending market was just too small. But again, now given this, the scale of the industry that I mentioned before, you can pretty easily club up a $2 billion, $3 billion or larger direct lending deal together. So size is really no longer a limitation. Um, and so for all of those reasons, you know, the fact that it's actually a really good and elegant financing solution for sponsors and because of the fact that the market has grown to really accommodate larger borrowers, we're pretty excited about the outlook for direct lending. Okay, cool. And in terms of just, you know, so far this quarter, uh, what are you seeing in terms of, uh, you know, deal terms and conditions? Anything interesting? Yeah, we think 2023 is a very attractive vintage for direct lending. Um, as I talked about, overall deal volume was, was down in Q1 versus 2022, but deal activity has been picking up in, in recent weeks. We're seeing some really high quality businesses be acquired by top private equity sponsors at, at very high multiples. And at the same time, leverage has been pretty reasonable because when you're underwriting uh, with base rates at five plus percent today, they're really constrained by interest coverage. So they can't take leverage necessarily to the same level that they might have been able to do so in 20, you know, 2021, 20, for example. Um, and so when you're underwriting with that in mind, the capital structure setups are really compelling. And then you overlay that with spreads that are pretty attractive by historical standards. Uh, you can easily pence out a, a double-digit unlevered yield. And, and documentation terms have also probably tightened a bit from, from where they were a couple of years ago. So as I said, overall, 2023 vintage for direct lending, in our view, is, is pretty attractive. Yeah. And, and before we finish up, it's always good to, to look ahead. So what's your outlook for the rest of the year in the private credit space? You know, What should we be keeping an eye on? Yeah, we are optimistic for the rest of the year. Um, we expect deal activity to continue to pick up. 
Um, when we think about the private equity dry powder that I mentioned before, as well as the overall maturity wall for existing issuers, we think the, there will be a busy back half to the year here. Um, I think in terms of what we need to keep an eye on, I mean, clearly we always need to keep a close eye on credit. We think that's kind of, um, you know, the most important, again, in light of a little bit more challenging times. I talked about why we think our portfolio continues to be well positioned in light of that, but certainly, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. And so we need to keep a close eye to make sure the underwriting standards remain as, as high as ever. Um, and we can be pretty picky from a credit quality perspective. Okay, great. And with that, we'll wrap up for today. Uh, we'll certainly continue to, to monitor the private credit and direct lending in BDC space as it continues to evolve. Thanks for joining me, Laura, and sharing your insights. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. I invite you to check out our private credit and BDC news and analysis at loanconnector.com. Follow us on Twitter at LPC Loans. I'm CJ Doherty. Subscribe to The Lending Lowdown on your favorite podcast platform. When you contribute your fixed income deals to Refinitiv, they'll reach over half a million buy and sell side professionals around the world and be included in our industry-leading league table rankings. To ensure we're capturing your entire deal flow, visit contribute.refinitiv.com forward slash FI sign up or contact our team at contribute at refinitive.com. Make your deal count.